Greetings, Retreat Church. It is so good to have us back in our building um, on Sundays. And um, for those of you that um, are participating online, welcome. You are just as much a part of us as if you are in the building and we celebrate um, your worshiping with us today and getting into the Word with us. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles wherever you are and um, open them up to Acts chapter 5. The book of Acts is a first century historical document. We that follow Christ, we that call ourselves Christians, believe that the, this is not only a first century historical document, but it is the authoritative Word of God passed down to us from eyewitnesses of these things and those that lived with Jesus. No matter how you look at this book, I think that you would agree that Christianity changed the world in the first century. And from that point on, Christianity has continued to bring about change in the world. I'm not saying that Christians have always been perfect. Not saying that Christians have always lived out Christianity in ways that Jesus meant for it to be lived out. I think history would also tell us that Christians have failed in many, many places, or maybe if failed is a too harsh of a word, and maybe um, have been less than perfect, less than Jesus. Or perhaps you can say that throughout history, Christians have been human. But nonetheless, as human as we are, as mistake-filled as we are, we realize that Christianity, as founded on the resurrection of Jesus, has radically changed the world. And those that follow Jesus, those that invite the Spirit of God to come and indwell them, have been powerful in bringing about change. But there, those people, those of us who call ourselves Christians, believe that we are following this first century historical figure that called Jesus that we believe is fully God, is fully human, and that God chose to manifest Himself to the world through a human being. And that human being lived a life, that human being died, that human being was resurrected and glorified, and that human being is God Himself. We truly believe that. And, and Jesus has told us, He told us that when He did ascend, as recorded in the first chapters of the book of Acts, that He would send His Spirit to indwell each believer. And over the last month or so, we've been celebrating that. But what exactly did these people do? These Spirit-filled followers of Jesus, these people that claimed that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, there was... A, a group of them that began to just explode out of Jerusalem and spread all over the world and change the entire world. And Christianity is a world-changing worldview. And so when we look at these people back in this time, in the first century, we see that um, the majority of them were fully committed. Were fully committed to 
representing Jesus in the world. We're fully committed to witnessing and bearing witness to the resurrection of their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And when they were fully committed, they started to live in a certain way. They started to live in a way of meeting one another's needs and making sure that everybody had their necessities covered. In fact, they went so far as to sell their own things and begin to contribute to the people that were around them. And there was this radical community of Christ followers selling and making sure that people had their need. And they were testifying that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And and they were living that out through care and compassion and generosity. Well, as you know, whenever a group of people start to do anything positive and they're moving in a, in a very positive, well-respected manner, you're, you're going to realize that they're going to be people that are on the fringes of that movement who want to be identified with that group, but they don't want to fully step into that group. They don't want to make the sacrifice necessary to be part of that group, yet they want to be identified as that group with that group. And you had that going on in the book of Acts very early on. And very early on, God teaches His people a lesson about if you're going to identify with this group, this group of people that were proclaiming the resurrection, that were selling their own things and making sure that everybody in their community had what they needed. And one of the reasons why they had to do that was um, because of the the persecution that was taking place. Because when you stepped into this group and you decided to follow Christ and you decided to bear witness about the resurrection of Jesus, you decided to put your life at risk. You decided to join in with a group that on one hand was becoming well-respected, but then on the other hand was also persecuted and hated. And there was this kind of mix. So there was this attractiveness to it Um, But yet there was this danger to it, and the attractiveness to it was something that drove people to kind of float around the edges, but the risk in it and the commitment needed forced people to stay kind of on the outside of it. And so when we look at chapter 5 in the book of Acts, you see God teaching His people a lesson about what, is, what does it require to be fully in and what are the dangers of kind of floating around and saying that you're in when you're really not? And so I want to take this opportunity to share from you from the book of Acts chapter 5 and we're going to title our main thought this, Half Committed is a Full Lie. Half Commitment, excuse me, is a Full Lie. We start out in Acts chapter 5, looking at verses 1 through 11, where we notice or can make this observation. Half commitment is an attempt to be part of a community while remaining self-serving. Did you catch that? So you want to be part of the community. You want to be part of the group of followers of Jesus, um, but you want to serve yourself. You're kind of wanting to identify with this group that's making extreme sacrifices, living in a wonderful community. Miracles are being done through them, and so you want to be a part of that, but you have some selfish motivation. You, you have something that you're trying to gain. You, you have an agenda. In other words, you're the type of person that decides um, to move into a community and say, I want to find a church to be a part of, a local expression of the uh, global body of Christ. I want to be a part of one of those, but I'm going to find the one that gives me what I want. I'm going to find the one that will do everything kind of for me. I'm going to find the one where there's maximum benefit and minimum commitment. 
And so we, we kind of look for places like that. In fact, we tend to sometimes do relationships that way. A relationship where a, a friend or a group of people will feed a lot into me but require very little of me. And, and, and so what, what is the danger of that? It's really a lie. It's really what it is when we come and say, I want to be a part of this group. And really, you're wanting to take from the group. You say, I want to be in this relationship. Well, really, you're saying, I want to take from that individual. And when this gets into a family and gets into a marriage and, and a marriage is based upon each individual coming and saying, I want to make a commitment to you, but I'm really trying to take from you. It becomes very, very dangerous. And um, we're seeing in our community today um, what, what takes place when people are really committed to something. And I think commitment to the right things brings tremendous positive change. Commitment to the wrong things and the wrong ideals bring horrible change. But nonetheless, we notice that full commitment brings a lot of change. And so later we'll have a, a challenge, a closing challenge in, in regards to that issue. But for now, to start, let's look here at verses 1 through 11 because you have something very kind of interesting and yet very scary take place. And I'm going to allow you to or ask you to read that in its entirety on your own, but what happened was this married couple, Ananias and Sapphira, they um, want to be a part of this community, and it's the community that I described, and so they want to be a part of that, and so they sell a piece of land for a certain dollar amount, or not, not dollars, but their economic blanking on that right now, but for a certain amount of money, and they come, and they come to the apostles, and they say to the apostles, here is all the money that we sold the, the property for. You, we want to donate the entire amount to the community. But in reality, what this couple did was this couple sold the, um, the property for the specific amount, gave part of that money to the apostles, and said it was the whole amount. So they lied about their commitment and were self-serving. The context of their actions, the context of why these people wanted to do this and were driven by this is in the previous chapter, Acts chapter 4, where it says in verse 32, now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul, and no one said that they said that any of the things that belonged to them was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. The great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each one as they had need." Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So you see this, this man 
this name was Joseph, everybody called him Barnabas because he was such this, an encouraging person that they stopped calling him by his real name and started calling him by another name. And his name literally was every time he walked in was, hey, there's the encourager. There's the son of encouragement. He is coming and he's blessing all of these people. And that became a very attractive way to be honored. And so Ananias and Sapphira, they wanted that same honor, but they did not want to make the same commitment and so they lied and we are told in verse 3 said but Peter said to Ananias why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land while it remained unsold did it not remain your own and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. You see, the problem wasn't how much money he gave. The problem wasn't that he had to sell the land in the first place. This passage, Peter is saying, you didn't have to sell the land. No one was forcing you to do it. This is a volunteer committee or, or community. And even if you sold it, you still weren't required to give all the money to the apostles. You could have just given a, a half, a kid given a portion, could have given two cents. But you said you gave everything when you didn't. And in this context, it's so scary to think that both him and his wife dropped dead on the spot as they lied. And when we look at this text, we see the importance of when you tell God that you are fully in, that you are fully committed to following Him, that if, you, you, if you're lying to a community, what you're really doing is lying to God. And a lie to God about being fully devoted to Him will eventually lead to your spiritual death. In this case, it was a physical death. In this case, it was an immediate death. Now thanks be to God for His grace and mercy that every time you and I make a mistake, every time you and I commit a sin of this way, He is, He is, I'm saying this very strongly to us, He is just in killing us. You, for those of you that are still listening, you, you might be listening just because you're mad now. Because you, you can't believe that God would actually kill someone for lying. That is just. But God is merciful and gracious and forbearing and patient. And so He allows us time to repent of that. But ultimately, if we've lied to God, saying that we are truly following Him when really we're not. Really we're just self-seeking and half committed or partially committed. You can't be partially a Christian. You can't be almost saved. You can't be almost converted. You either are or you're not. And if you live in this lie, ultimately you will be spiritually and eternally condemned. And as unpopular as that is, that 
is the loving truth. I love you enough to tell you that a half commitment is a lie. I love you enough to tell you that if you are lying to the Holy Spirit, you are in danger of eternal damnation. I love you enough and value you enough and care about you enough to expose the Word of God to you and expose your own lies to yourself and to God. And so if you are making a half commitment, you are living in a full lie, and I ask you to turn to God and receive His grace and receive His mercy and be truly committed and be truly converted into the family of God. A second observation is this, that if the fully committed were used to bring healing, but those unwilling to commit dared not join. I mean, after seeing that, after rumors of this got out, as everybody began to talk that this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, went and lied, and that they, were, were, that they dropped dead. And was, as that story began to spill out into the community, you had people that were on the edge. Oh, we're not going to halfway commit. We're, we're just not going to commit at all. Which is more honorable than a half a commitment. I have far much more respect for people that say to me, you know what, Paul? I, I don't believe what you believe. And so I'm not going to go where you go. I'm not going to do the things you do. I, I don't believe that about the Bible. I don't believe that about Jesus. I, I don't believe that about God. And so I'm not even going to participate in what you're doing. I have a lot of respect for people like that. And I honor you. If that is you today, if that is you that says, you know, I'm being honest, I'm not going to commit at all. In fact, I don't even know why I'm listening to this. Probably just listening to this because somebody asked me to and somebody shared it with me. And so I, I'm just out of relationship. You're listening today. My goal and my desire for you is to be a follower of Christ and come to understand that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I, come, I pray that you, and the reason why I'm doing this today is to help you and to help you with whatever barrier is keeping you from believing and making a full commitment to Jesus. But I, I do respect you as a person that says, I don't believe and so I'm not going to commit. I pray that someday you will make that choice to do so. But these people were, were being used by God and they were being used by Him in powerful ways. In fact, in verses 12 through 16, you come to understand that the miracles were proof that, Jesus, that what Jesus began to do was now being done through the apostles who were filled with His Holy Spirit. And when you look at this text, and I, I think I'm going to change my mind for a second and read that. It's, a, it, it's readable in public. So I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and do that. It's not too long. You know, some passages as, as the next one, kind of long to, to read, and I'd really like you to spend some time with those by yourself. But in Acts chapter 5, looking at verse 12, it says, Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles, and they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people who gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Isn't that an amazing time? 
That God was doing this tremendous work through this community that had made this, this very strange and very powerful commitment to one another. And they were out there proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. And so that people would understand that what Jesus begun to do himself was now being carried out and completed by the apostles. Jesus' spirit was working through the apostles in the exact same way that he had worked in him as he had his earthly ministry. But then as some would watch this and they, they would watch this taking place and they would see all the miracles and they would, they would see all the movement and they would see all the people coming to faith, they knew that if they made a halfway commitment, they could end up like Ananias and Sapphira. So they held these people at high esteem. They honored them greatly, but they said, I'm going to stay away. I'm not going to make a halfway commitment. I will just stay away. Interesting that there was that level of respect for the followers of Christ. Now I know we live in an age where the popular phrase by church leaders is, is, is just come as you are. Just, just come show up. Now, I'm all for a lot of that. I want you to come into the building. I want you to join us online. I want you to have conversations with me and other Christians. And you can participate in showing up to anything. The thing is here, it's not necessarily going into a church building or listening to something online. What the problem is, is when you identify yourself as a Christian when you're only halfway committed. You can come, and you can participate, and you can see, and you can come check things out and you can observe and you can participate and and you can can be here and you can listen but in your own heart you really need to be honest with yourself and you need to say hey I'm here I'm showing up I'm investigating these claims I'm looking into the scriptures I'm trying to see the validity of the Bible I'm trying to see if Jesus really did historically raise from the dead I'm looking at all this but be honest about where you are. If you're just investigating it, you're investigating it. Good for you. I'm glad. A lot of tremendous, wonderful, powerful Christians took a long time in their investigation. Feel free to browse around. Feel free to come on in and ask any question you want. It's, an, it's open season for questions. <laughs> and that we, we would have great dialogue. If you have pushback against any of these things, if you think that some of these things just sound contrived, Talk, let's talk about those. Let, let, let's discuss those. Let, let's have a, a mini dis- seminars on those. Let's take me for coffee. And as I always like to say, you pay, I'll pray, and, and we'll do our best to, to try to look at some of these questions. So the, the idea is, isn't that you need to stay physically away or emotionally away. You just need to be honest with yourself and honest with the group, and honest with God. And then when you're ready to make full commitment, you do that. And then notice what the fully committed look like. And we'll finish with this. In verses 17 through 42, I invite you, that's a little bit longer, I'm going to invite you to listen to that or read, read that one on your own. But as you do, you'll probably notice at least this. You notice maybe a lot more than this. But at least these three, three things. That the fully committed speak costly truth. Realize that? People that are committed to the truth 
or people that are committed even to a lie. When there's full commitment, they speak what's costly. They'll speak the, what they think is true, even though it may cause some negative repercussions in their life. Now, people that are half committed, they'll say what's popular. They'll say what they could get away with. They'll say what won't cost them anything. But when you're fully committed, you're saying whatever version of the truth you think you have. And I can respect that, even if I disagree with you. If I disagree with you, if you have an opinion or a perspective that is opposite of mine, we could still be friends. We could still be brothers and sisters. We can still be in the same places. We could still be polite to one another. We could still be nice to one another. We could still come together and discuss our differences. And I, had, I, I would expect you, if you have a belief, to state, state it clearly to me without fear that I'm going to treat you in a bad way or try to harm you in any way. But people that are committed speak costly truth. A second observation is this, that the fully committed obey God rather than man on the basis of the resurrection. See, you are so convinced that Jesus raised from the dead that you are compelled then to obey God rather than men. Because God raised Jesus from the dead. Everything that Jesus said about himself is therefore true. And he presented God in a certain way as being the, the ruler, the sustainer, the creator, the, the sovereign Lord. He, he portrayed him in that way. And so we are obligated then by our faith in the resurrection to obey this God. We are compelled to do that. And we must obey God rather than than man. You'll also notice thirdly and lastly that the fully committed rejoice in suffering. This is weird. This is weird. I mean, these folks actually believed that it was a good thing and they got together and they rejoiced. It isn't it great that people are persecuting us and calling us names and pushing us out of the synagogues and pushing us out of our homes and pushing us out of our country. Isn't this great because we are identifying with Jesus? See, they are so convinced that Jesus raised from the dead that they want to be identified with him in everything. And so Jesus was persecuted. And so when Christians are following Jesus and they too are persecuted, they take it as a sign that they are doing what Jesus called them to do. And actually, Jesus warned them that this would take place. Jesus told his apostles, he said, I have been hated and therefore you will be hated. Don't be shocked when this happens. Don't be amazed as something strange was taking place. But they actually rejoiced in it. They didn't complain about it. They didn't play the victim role in it. They, they didn't do any of that whatsoever. And so Christian, today, if you are speaking the truth in love to the people around you in your world and you get treated negatively about that, don't hang your head. Don't play the victim role. Don't start being quiet. But continue to love. Continue to rejoice together. Continue to speak the truth respectfully and honorably. To all people. And so we finally close with this challenge. Fully commit yourself to that which cannot be stopped. You'll notice in reading this chapter that this man, this Pharisee, this Pharisee got up in verses 34 through 40 and he made this little statement. But a Pharisee 
in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law held in honor by all people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, men of Israel, take care that you are about to do with these men. For these days, that, for before these days, Thutis, I'm going to say his name right, rose up claiming to be somebody. A number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed. All that followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all the people followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone, for it is this plan, for this plan or this undertaking is of man, it'll fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. And so I'm finishing this up this morning or today, whenever you're listening, fully being fully committed to that which cannot be stopped. If it's of God, it can't be stopped. Jesus said that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to be a part of that. And I want you to be as well. Father, we thank you today for this word. We ask, Lord, that you would help us understand that half commitment is a full lie. We ask, Lord, that you would either help us to respectfully admit that we're not fully committed or just simply go ahead and be fully committed. And Father, I pray that um, in a world where there's a lot of turmoil and people choosing sides, and people fighting with one another. I pray, Father, that we will be fully committed to that which is not going to fail. And that is being a part of your kingdom, a part of you establishing your people, your rule on this earth. And so, Father, I pray today that your Holy Spirit would fill each listener and they would be compelled to be fully committed to you. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.